If you noticed when you came in today and all the craziness that there is a, a little something in the oval. Did anybody notice that or were you too busy getting in and out, trying to find your people, texting, where are you, where am I? Uh, did you notice something in the oval when you came in? What was in the oval when you came in? bunch of cinder blocks in a big square. Do you know what that is? We're building a house in the oval. Yeah, like a legitimate house. And then we're going to raffle the deed of it at the end of this series, and somebody's going to get to own the house and live in the house in the oval. It's going to be amazing. I mean, some of you think about that on Sundays, how easy that's going to be on Sunday. It's like, am I going today? Well, I guess so, because there are people looking in my windows, you know? And then you'll just wake up and walk out your door, and you're already here. It's going to be phenomenal. Uh, A little bit weird during the week, but Sundays are going to be great. You're going to be the most popular person in the world. And we're going to, over the next few weeks, build a house, a legitimate house in the Oval as a metaphor for what God wants to encourage us in in these days around this idea built. And the subtitle, tagline, as you already saw for this series, is a life that stands the test of time. And that's what God is thinking about for you today. You're thinking about today, but God's thinking about forever. You're thinking about this new season of my life. God's thinking about all the seasons of your life. You're thinking about how is this going to fit together this spring, and how does this connect to that, and how do we get to dinner tonight. And God is looking at your life and my life today, and this is what he's thinking. He's thinking, I want to build something so significant in you that you become a man or a woman who is rooted in God, built up in truth, who becomes faithful, someone that your grandkids can look to you you at some point in your life and say, I want to be just like my grandma because she is so sturdy, so steadfast. She has been so faithful, so so immovable in her life. I want to be like that. I want a life that cannot just weather a week or a month or a day or a year, but a life that can weather everything that comes at me and is still standing at the end of time. And this is what God has in mind for you. And this is what God has in mind for me. And in America, we just want to build the house. I mean, that's America. I just want to get a job, get some money, and get a house. That's kind of the goal of life. I'm in an apartment now, but I'm hoping to get a house. I'm in a condo now with nine roommates, but I'm hoping to get out of there and one day get somebody, a significant other, and get a house. Because when you get a house in America, you win because you got a house. But we're not making the goal to build the house. We're letting the house be a metaphor for us to build our lives. Because it's fine if you live in a house, but it's okay fine if you don't live in a house. What's essential is that you become the man or the woman that God has dreamed of you becoming in this lifetime. That's what is essential. And so over these few weeks together, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be built into the person that God is dreaming that we can be. And I want you to know today God's got plans for you. It's like those uh, amazing theologians, the uh, Swedish house, house Mafia said, um, don't you worry, child, because, anybody? Isn't it weird that it took Swedish House Mafia to tell the world what God's already been trying to tell us the whole time? Don't you worry, child, heaven's got a plan for you. 
And so I want you to know today, it doesn't matter where you're coming into this series from. That's what I love about it. You could be coming from the best of times or the worst of times. You could be coming from the highs or the lows. You could be coming from amazing joy or unfathomable sorrow. You may be coming from a season of life where you feel like you have succeeded. You may be coming out of a season of life where you feel like you've royally failed. You may be coming where everything looks clear, or you may be coming out of days where everything looks cloudy, but it doesn't matter today. What matters today is who you're coming to, and we are coming to Jesus Christ. And among all the things that are said about him, I love that it is said about him that he is a builder. He's a builder. And if we'll let him, he will build something in us. A life in us that will stand the test of time. He's not interested in boys and girls. He's interested in boys becoming men and girls becoming women. He's not interested in you surviving this season at work. He's interested in you becoming an oak of righteousness for the generations to come. And these are the plans of God for our lives. I love how the Hebrews writer said it in Hebrews 3, 4. He said, for every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of everything. So two ideas today, very basic and very simple. And if you've been around church for a long time today, you still have to come on board with today. If you're kind of new in your journey with God, you're going to love today because we're starting at the beginning. Two big ideas. Number one idea is this. If you want to build something significant, you have to start with a plan. If you want to build something significant, you don't just start building. First, you have a plan. You knew that already. Everyone knows that already. If you want to build a house, what are you going to do? You're going to start talking about, well, what kind of house do we want to build? Uh, And so you're going to get a magazine of house plans, or you're going to go online and start looking at house plans. Has anybody done this before? Anybody built a house here, by the way? Anybody ever built a house, family here built a house? Not literally you built it, but you had somebody build one for you. Can you show your hands? Just a few people. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. These people have been through purgatory and back, these people right here. And if you aspire to that one day, then God bless you. God will use that in your life to make you more like Jesus. Building a house is a challenging journey and an amazing event all at the same time. And the first step of it is not to build. The first step is to decide what do you want to build. What kind of house are we going to build here? Are we going to build a craftsman-style house? Are we going to have a contemporary house? Are we going to build a house out of containers? Because that's what the cool kids are doing. And we're going to live in freight containers. That's going to be awesome. Are we going to build a one-story ranch-style house or a two-story colonial? What kind of house do we want to build? And you start with a plan. Now, you don't have to start with a plan, but it's a good idea. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, so I can say this, so don't judge me, but if you drive about like an hour from where we are right now, it gets pretty interesting around Atlanta, Georgia, because you're out in the country quick. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I can say this, so don't write me later. They're, they're rednecks about an hour from here. <laughs> can we say that? I mean, is that even allowed? Can you say that? Um, <laughs> And have you ever, anybody live out where I'm talking about? So like the, oh, wow, wow, we got a whole house full of rednecks in here. This is amazing. Rednecks all up in here. Y'all must have prayed double time. We're going down in the city today, honey. Hold on. You know, we'll get down there and get out as quick as we can, you know, and get back up here where there's no building codes and there's no regulations and you just shoot firearms in the yard and do what you want to, you know. That's where some of you live and you love it, don't you? That's why you live there. 
If you ever passed anywhere out in these environs I'm talking about, and you passed a house and you kind of did a double take, like, whoa, I'm not sure what that is right there. It's like chicken coop meets shed meets home meets whatever. And you're pretty sure somebody had a few too many beers on Friday night. They woke up on Saturday kind of feeling like, you know what I'm going to do today, honey? I'm going to build something today. And they had like spare lumber around the house and some power tools, and they just started like adding on to the house. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is not far from here. And I mean, you, you walk up and you're like, man, that's weird. There's like a door and a window kind of coming into the same thing and the roof line doesn't match and uh, it's weird. That's what happens when you don't have a plan but you just want to start building. I want to build something. And that's exactly how they said it. I want to build something before lunch. Yeah. This is not the way God thinks. God's not looking at you today going, hey, you know, I'm going to build something today. <laughs> God is looking at you today and he's going, I have a plan for you. So when I see you, I don't see you all present tense and I'm kind of just limited by that. When I see you, I see a big picture and a plan for your life. And that plan is way beyond the things that you're wrestling with today, because I know for a lot of us, we just want God to get into today and fix today. And God is saying, today's only a part of the plan. And I've already looked through the catalog and already decided what I want you to be and how I want you to live. And here's God speaking today. I'm committed right now, if you are, to building you into the man into the woman that I've been dreaming that you would become. And it all starts with what God sees. If you have scripture, I want you to look at a passage with me in Romans chapter eight, because I want you to see what God's thinking. And so get to Romans eight, if you will, just stick a finger in there. It's about halfway through the New Testament in the back. Just stick a finger in there, Romans eight. And then once you get into Romans 8, I want you to turn over to kind of like middle of the Bible to Jeremiah chapter 29. Two of the most familiar passages in Scripture for people that, uh, that are church-going kinds of people. Romans 8, you're going you're gonna to know this verse when we read it. And Jeremiah 29, probably memorized by half the people in this building right now. But these are the pictures that God has for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, look at what it says. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Now, that's encouraging on one side, but the flip side of that verse would always have read better if we had said, I know the plans you have for me. But that's not the way the verse reads. The verse reads, God says, I know the plans I have for you. So right now, God has a plan and he knows the plan. And you're like, well, if he has a plan and knows the plan, why don't I have the plan and why don't I know the plan? And it, can I give you the short answer and not the theological answer? Because we will mess up the plan. And once we know the plan, we won't need God anymore. And we're prone to that kind of behavior. And so he says, I guess I'm just going to keep the plan because I don't want you to mess it up. And I'm going to keep the plan because I need you to need me because you need me more than the plan. And so if you keep saying to God, I just need to know the plan, you don't need to know the plan. You just need to know that God knows the plan. And you need God is what you need. You don't need a plan. You need God. And so God's going to hold a plan. He's going he's to do the plan. He's going to work out the plan. And at the end of the day, you're going to go, wow, that was an amazing plan. 
thank you for not giving me that plan because I would have just started building and put a door and a window on the same porch that didn't match the roof line and I would have not asked you anything else because I would have gotten the blueprint and isn't that the truth? Don't we just want the blueprint? But God didn't create us for a blueprint. He didn't create us for a plan. He created us for himself. So he's going to keep the plan, but he wants you to know he knows the plan. And here's the plan. Are you ready for the plan? It's a good plan. It is plans, he says, to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, can we stop and be honest for a second? Because we all have talked about this verse. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And then we say, but wait a minute. I'm not prospering, and there's a lot of pain in my life. Some things have happened to me that are painful. Some things have been done to me that are painful. So if you're so great and have such a great plan for me, why is this pain in my life? The plan isn't that you don't have any pain. The pain is at the end of the day, the pain helps you and it doesn't harm you. And that's powerful. The plan is, and I have great plans for you, you'll have no pain, no difficulty, no challenges in your life. That's the plan. No, that's not the plan. The plan is when all the things are said and done about your life, your life will have blossomed and not withered. Your life will move forward and not backwards. And your life will be whole and not broken at the end of the day. And then let's look at what he says. He says, then you will call upon me. See, that's the goal. And come and pray to me. So the goal is to get us closer to God, not into a house. The goal is to, to get into a relationship with Jesus, not to get into a plan for our lives. You'll come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back from captivity. This is the plan of God for our lives today. So if you feel like you've been out in left field, God understands that, and his plan is to bring you back from left field and put you at center home base. His plan for you is to take all the pieces of life and let you see that if you will trust him, he will use all those pieces of life to accomplish the purpose of your life. And you say, well, what is that purpose? And that's what we see in Romans chapter 8. So here's kind of two bookends to the same idea. Romans 8, beginning in verse 28. And we're about to get into some big theology here, so just let your mind be as big as God for a minute. It says, and we know, we know, that's a, that's a huge word, we know, we're confident that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Okay, there's the plan. There's the plan. So we're going to get to it in one second because we're going to answer this question. If God has a picture and God has a plan, what is the plan? We're going to talk about it in one second. But look at the setup. We know that in all things, God works. You know, how many of you have heard this verse before, by the way? Yeah, this is a big famous verse. And we mostly hear this verse when hardship comes. When something difficult happens in our lives, we lose a loved one or something happens in our business or some kind of challenge or trials come, people come around really fast and say, well, you know, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And a lot of the time, can I be honest, that's annoying to us. 
Because we got all these happy Christians who nothing bad is happening to them telling us who are sitting in the middle of a difficulty, hey, don't you worry about it. You know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. But I want to step back today, and I want to ask you, do you really believe that? I want to step away today because maybe you're in the middle of it and you need that encouragement, or maybe you're kind of more of a smooth season of life, but this is an everyday kind of thought today. This is an everyday kind of verse, and here's what it's saying, in all things God works. I love that phrase. We know that in all things God works. Can we just say that together? In all things God works. In all things God works. God works. God doesn't just work in some things. He doesn't just work in the nice things. He doesn't just work in the good things. He doesn't just work in the successful things. In all things, God works. You know why? Because he's a builder, and he's not limited by the resources at hand. He is a God who can create anything with anything. And so in your life and in my life today, God is saying, trust me, in every situation, no matter what is going on in your life, I am working. It may not look like I'm working, but I'm working. It may not look like I have a plan, but I have a plan and a purpose for you. In all things, God works. That's the sermon for somebody today. You can, you can encourage, be encouraged by the rest of this today, but that's the one thing that you're going to take away, and you're going to say that a million times in the next month. In all things, God works. That means God's working in this thing. In all things, God works. That means right now, God is working in this thing. In all things, God works. That means I can't see it, but I believe God is working right now in this thing. God is working in this thing. God is working in this thing. God has plans for my life, plans to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me hope and to give me a future. And he's working right now because in all things, God works. In all seasons, God works. In all jobs, God works. In all relationships, when they come and they go, God works. In all things God works. In all things God works. And here's the way he's working. He's working for the good. He's working for the good. So that's the starting point today, that you have to believe today that God has a plan for you. And the enemy's probably sold you a story that says God doesn't have a plan, and if he does have a plan, he must not be a very good God because it looks like the plan's gone crazy. And it looks like God is against you and not for you. It looks like God isn't working for your good, but he's working for your bad. And we have to step back today and ask God to give us the grace to look up into heaven again at this God who's already given us everything he has, to know that his commitment today is in all things I will work. And I'm working for good. So whatever it is, you have to say, good's coming out of this. Whatever it is, we have to be able to say, good is coming out of this. It doesn't look like good is in it, but good's coming out of it because in all things God works. And good's coming out of this. Good is coming out of this. Good is coming from this. There may be pain in it, but good's coming out of it. There may be sorrow in it, but there's good coming out of it. There may be tears today, but there's going to be good tomorrow. Because God is a builder and God is in charge of building my life. He is working for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. Now, what does that mean? It means that God is a sovereign God who's running the world. Now, we have a free will. I fully believe this. There's a big dilemma. Do we have free will to choose Jesus or does Jesus choose us? And, you know, sort of like, are, are we like predestined to be Christians or do we get to choose to be Christians? Well, we, we say yes to Jesus, but come on, make no mistake about it, God's running the world. 
So if our eyes are open to grace and to Jesus today, do you know why that is? It's not because we did something amazing. It's because God did something amazing to open our eyes to the goodness and grace of Jesus. Do you ever think about that? There's six and a half million people in greater Atlanta, Georgia. And millions and millions of them do not see the love and mercy and grace of God in Christ for them today. But you do. Why do you see it? Because you're that smart, because you're that clever, because you figured something out, or because God decided to let you see. You say, well, he decided to not let them see? I don't know. We're going to go tell all of them about Jesus and find out. And that's the beauty of how the story all fits together. And he has chosen us. God has set this in motion. You didn't show up into the story of salvation one day and go, I think I'm just going to decide to follow Jesus. No, God decided to invite you in to his story. And that is the assurance that you have that he's committed to fulfilling his purpose and plan for your life. What he started, he will finish until the very end. Look how it unfolds in verse 29. You say, what are you talking about? This right here. For those God foreknew. Okay, what does that mean? It means he knew you before. Before what? Before you knew him, he knew you. Before you chose him, he chose you. Before you said yes to him, he already said yes to you. Before you walked in a church, he'd already walked on the planet. Before you had thought about inviting Christ into your life, Christ had already thought about giving his life for you. He before knew. He foreknew. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. You're like, ah, I don't like that word. That's a big word. Predestined, what does that mean? It means God predetermined. So take it easy and know that God has already decided something about you. You're like, what has he decided about me? He's decided this about you. He has predetermined you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That his son Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Come on, people. If you can't get an amen around that today, then you can't get an amen out because what it's saying is that God has already decided something about you. And here it is. And here's the plan. Here's the answer. What is God building in my life? He wants to build you and me into the very image of Jesus Christ. That's the plan. That we would become like Christ. Now, it's another religion that says we're going to become Christ. We're not going to become Christ. Only Jesus is Christ the Lord. But we're going to become like Christ the Lord. And that's the plan for your life and my life. It is not riches, although you might get riches, you might not. It is not longevity, although you may live to be 100 or you may live to be 30. It is not that you will have a great family, although you might have the best family on the planet Earth. You might live your life single. It, it's not, that's not necessarily the plan. The plan is that you would be conformed to the likeness, the nature, the character of Jesus, and that you'll become a man or a woman who looks like, thinks like, acts like, talks like, breathes like Jesus in this life. And God is committed to build that in you and in me. And nothing can stop him. So don't think, well, we took a little left turn here. That's going to slow down the building process. No, it's not. Because look at the next verse. It says, what? 
then shall we say in response to this, if God is for us, who can be against us? So nobody can stop God's building plan in your life. Global economic collapse can't stop God from building you into the likeness of Jesus. Cancer cannot stop God. Cancer, he's not going to go, okay, well, we're done. He will just then take that because in all things God works. And out of cancer, he will bring good. And out of cancer, he will bring Christ-likeness. And he will complete the plan and the purpose all along, which is to conform us into the very likeness of Jesus. So that in that instant, the twinkling of an eye, when everything gets real in a heartbeat and all this world stuff that we're so preoccupied with goes away, and instantly we're in the presence of God. And the scripture says, just like that, we are changed into his likeness. And all the old is now completely faded away, and all the new now has emerged and come to the forefront. This mortality is swallowed up in immortality. This tent now is swallowed up with our permanent heavenly body, and in a heartbeat we see Jesus. And in that moment, the plan all along was this perpetual, gradual, steady growth into the likeness of Christ until the moment that we all see him face to face. And nothing, nothing can thwart God's building plan in you. If God is for you, then you tell me who can be against you. Oh, your husband can leave you, but he cannot stop God's building plan for you. You say, well, how can I be confident in that? That sounds like preacher talk. Um, Next verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but gave him, Jesus, up for us all, how, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? God has a plan. Heaven has a plan. It's not haphazard. (laughs) It's not, hey, I'm going to build something and I don't know what. And the something is to build our lives from the inside out into the image of Jesus. Second big idea today is that every plan, every great plan requires a sure foundation. Now, you knew that already, I know. But every great plan, it doesn't matter if it's the tallest building in North America It doesn't matter if it's a house on your street, and it doesn't matter if it's a house that we're building in the Oval at 515. Every plan requires a sure foundation. That's why when you came in today, there's just a foundation on the floor. It's the best one we could do. We thought about pouring actual concrete on the concrete. That didn't work out to be the best plan. So we've got a solid, buildable, steady, durable, dependable cinder block on wood frame foundation. And we're going to build a house on it, and it's going to be a good enough foundation for that house. And when God looks at you today, and when he looks at me today, he sees a grand plan, but he also sees the need for a sure foundation, what we typically want to do is just get the grand plan. I just want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix in my new house. And he's like, yeah, you could do that, but you might see in three months the walls are starting to crack because the foundation wasn't good from the beginning. And I've got to get you a good 
foundation. Nobody's going to Instagram any pictures of that thing out there. You know, but six weeks from now, trust me, when we got this house going, I don't know whether it's going to work out or not, but my plan is that we're going to be having a cookout at the house on the sixth week, and you can get a hot dog or a hamburger on the way out. And, um, I mean, we're talking full functional. London will be in the yard. The whole thing's going to be working. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a real house. And they're going to be Instagrams going nuts about our house. House in our church. Isn't it cool? Here's me and the family in front of the house. Here's me and my roommates in front of the house. Here's just me in front of the house, you know? Um, here's the house. Lots of pictures. No Instagrams today. There's not going to be a hashtag foundation today. It's not going to be running around. It's not going to be a trending topic in Atlanta today. You're not going to believe the cinder block foundation that they built in the middle of my church. You've got to see it, people, because foundations are inglorious necessities to successful, enduring life stories. But nobody, nobody wants to be excited about a foundation. If you've ever built a house, you did not call your friends over and say, you got to come over, we're starting the house, do you all want to see it? Yeah, look, they're building a foundation. Awesome, do we have to get out of the car? You know, no, no, nobody wants to see that. You're bringing them along when you're walking through and they can say, oh, this is the kitchen and oh, this is going to be the laundry room and oh, I see how this all connects together. But foundations are necessary but not that Glorious. Let me give you a couple of words about foundations. These are going to set you on fire, and uh, some of you probably want to run around the, the building when I mention these. But here's what it takes to get a sure foundation. Are you ready for these three words? Number one word, you got to grade. <laughs> Woo, yeah, grading. Like, what, is, what are you talking about grade? Like you get an A on your foundation or a C plus? No, grading. You know what I'm talking about? Grading. So you have a lot. And you have a plan, and the builder says, so you want to put that house on that lot? Yes, we want to put that house on that lot. Well, that lot's not, a, you know, flat, so we're going to have to work it out. And, and creative builders can build a, a house on any lot imaginable, which is amazing. When we moved here in 1995, I think it was, Shelly and myself, we'd been living in a condo before, our first condo ever out in Texas. We were so excited. We moved to Atlanta. We were going to buy a house, Lord willing. And we were looking at two houses, one in Roswell on uh, west side of 400, one in Roswell on the east side of 400. The east side of 400, we loved this house, but we, we got there. It's kind of freaky because we drove down, nice little neighborhood, kind of like a little starter neighborhood, and we drove down the hill, and there's a cul-de-sac, and there was a house, and we loved it, and the little yard, the yard wasn't real big, like from here to the, there, like, almost reached the front door from that from the street but not quite and um but it was really kind of cool and you know we've been in a condo so we were fired up you know we like we weren't attached to anybody else you know as living and so we were fired up and we walked in and it was amazing we walked in this little open area down this little hallway and into the den the den stepped down it was a step down den you know what i'm talking about hello sunken den and um those, that's not two good words for a house, is it? It's a sunken den. Oh, it's great. So we stepped down, big vaulted ceiling, double windows, and we walked to the windows, and I'm not kidding, we walked to the windows, and a bald eagle was looking at me in the window <laughs> from the top of a tree. Not, not really a bald eagle, but, but it could have been. <laughs> it was the freakiest feeling. Because we were looking not sort of at trees, but like down on trees. Like big trees, like huge trees, and we're like, and then we looked out the window, 400 feet, it looked like straight down to nowhere, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to back up a little bit from the den, because the sunken den is about to become the fallen den, and I want to get back into the cul-de-sac. They built this, I mean, cul-de-sac comes down, land just goes like that, and then they just built a house right there. We call it the stilt house. Lord, do you want us to get the stilt house or do you want us to get the other house? God led us to the other house. Praise God. <laughs> Amazing. 
because I don't think I could have slept in this house. I don't know how they did it, and I would drive by there after we moved into the other house every year or two just to see if the house was still there. And um, I don't know, one of you guys may be living in that house right now. I'll tell you where it is later. But uh, God can build anywhere. A foundation can support a house on the most interesting of places. So don't think you're not a good lot. But you do have to be graded. Your lot has to be prepared. You cannot just plop up a 50, 60, 70 year enduring, my grandkids are going to aspire to be like me life without grading. And grading is when the guy comes in, backs something off of a flatbed trailer, you've seen this happen, rolls into the deal, a few trees might have to go, uh, things have to get moved, dirt has to get relocated, and the lot has to be graded so that the foundation then can be made. And nobody loves grading. In fact, I've never met anyone in my whole life. I'm like, what do you do? I'm a grader. I've never met that person. What does your dad do? My dad's a grader. Isn't that awesome? You know, there's not awards for grading. Nobody talks about grading. But that is such a necessary component to life. The second thing that happens after they grade is they dig. It's the second word, grade, dig. A guy comes with a big claw on a, on a thing. You seen that guy? And he digs a hole. You want a hole. Unless you're building your house on like the, the flat part of the top of Stone Mountain, you want to dig. And what you're doing is you're trying to dig down, hopefully to bedrock. Hopefully you want to clunk some stuff eventually and know, hey, we're getting down solid enough to start doing the third word, which is to pour. So we grade, then we dig, and then we pour a foundation. And nobody sends their friends photos of that. Look, they're grading. But unless there's grading, the land will never be level. And if the land isn't level, you don't want to build in that place. Isaiah saw this coming in Isaiah 40. It's a metaphor for how Jesus comes into our lives. And it was a metaphor for the people of God. This is what it said in verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness says, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places plain. And then, here's what we all want, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. Now this is Old Testament talking about the coming of Jesus. This is what John the Baptist said when he was preaching in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make the, the rough places smooth, the valleys and the hills, the, the pitfalls. We've got to build those up. The, the high places that look like success and like you, you can build your house up here on the top of this mountain or the top of this success. And he said, no, those are not steady enough for you. We've got to level the false highs and fill up the false lows and make level ground, smooth path, rough roads become steady and smooth so that the Lord can come so that at the end of the day, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. So our house becoming a metaphor for our lives is that eventually the house will have lights that come on inside and when you walk by it, you'll go, it looks inviting in there and I can see life in there and I can see something happening in there. It looks warm in there. It looks inviting inside that house and that's the picture of our lives that God would level out the ground 
that he would dig around. And what does that mean? It means that when he digs, something's got to go. When he digs, something's got to come. He's got to fill in some places with his, with his truth, and he's got to remove some things with his truth. He's got to cut down some trees that got to go from your lot. He's got to cut off from some ways of thinking that have become a part of your life. He's got to take out some relationships that are stopping you from becoming the man or the woman that God wants you to be. There has to be grading and digging and pouring in that place so that the ground can become prepared and level and ready for the glory of God to be revealed. And that's the end of the day. That's the end of the picture that you're becoming alive. Walking through this city and people look and they see the light in your eyes. They see through the window of your heart and your life and your actions and the way that you treat people. And they say, it looks inviting in there. It looks inviting in there. That, that, it looks like whatever's in there it looks like what I want. The glory of God is being revealed and all the people are seeing it together. So for this to happen, two simple things today and we're done. Number one, you have to put your faith in Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. We, we said hope has a name <laughs> and hope's name is Jesus. And we, we said we want to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus. But that begins by you saying, I put my faith in Jesus. You know, there's all kinds of faith. There's no faith. A lot of people say, I don't have any faith. But nobody doesn't have any faith, so there's really not no faith. There's just people who don't have faith in God, but they have faith in something. I mean, I'm, I talk to people all the time that I don't believe in God. I'm like, okay, I always, I never go, oh, my, you don't believe in God. Oh, my God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, I feel terrible. Oh, I believe in God, but you don't believe in God. I just go, okay, that's great. What do you believe in? Best question in the world, because I want to know. Because I might, one of these days, somebody might tell me something better than God. I'm going to go, that's what I've been looking for. What do you believe in? Somebody told me the other day, I believe in the coexistence of common beings in a parallel universe that are linked together and networked by an energy source of light and peace. I was like, no, I'm serious. I was like, okay. Faith. In something. So there's really no faith. That's not really an option, so we'll pass that one off. Um, there's, I, there's, you've heard me say this. There's game day faith. A lot of people have game day faith. A lot of people who don't even have faith have game day faith because everybody has game day faith. You're like, what is game day faith? It's when final exams are coming and you got a statistics exam right in front of you and you become a, a, a follower of Jesus. <laughs> Anybody ever had game day faith? Oh, Lord Dear God in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I, I'm willing to go to the ends of the earth. I'll go to, to, to the jungles of New Guinea. I, I will do anything. Please, I'm asking you this one-time exception. I know I've never talked to you, but if you could get me through this. That's game day faith. It's, it's you driving to that deal meeting you had last week, and you're like, Lord, if you're up there, a little something be good. It's game day faith. Everybody's got game day faith. Nobody doesn't want to pray on game day. Y'all want to pray before we run out there? Yeah, absolutely. Dear God and heaven, help us, because this is it. These next three hours are going to determine our future. This is our moment. Yes, we believe in God. That's game day faith. There's your mother's faith. You know what kind of faith that is? And maybe your mother didn't have any faith, but just pretend that she did. Most of our mothers did. Most of our mothers are praying for us right now. They've been praying for us because their grandmothers prayed for us. And a lot of your grandmothers are still praying for you. And my, my mother's faith and my grandmother's faith is if I ever get in trouble, I just know my mom's praying for me. 
ever get in a, a jam, it's going to be okay because I know my grandmother believes in Jesus. But here's the thing. When life crumbles, game day faith and your mother's faith don't work when your life is in the fire. you got to move the, to the last kind of faith, and that's called Jesus faith. And it's not, I need a blessing because I got something to get through. It's not, if I ever get in a pinch, I know maybe my grandmother's faith might count for something. I look to heaven and go, you don't know me, but I bet you know my grandmother. You know, Geraldine, do you know her? Okay, look, at, look under there. No, under the G's. No, yeah, yes, that's her. We're kind of counting on some sort of Passover, pass down favor. But when life falls apart, the only thing that works is I really believe in Jesus because I came to the point in my life when I was 18, 28, 48, 68, first marriage, third marriage, before I was married, on the bottom, on the top, rehab, non-rehab, I came to the place in my life that I believe Jesus is the most important person in the room, the most important person who's ever lived. He's got the power to build things out of nothing. And I said, I put my trust in you as God and Savior, and Lord. And I'm putting all my hope and trust in you. Two quick passages. Colossians 2, I love this, in verse 6. It says, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, which is by grace through faith, continue to live in him. So it's a process, right? Rooted and built up in him. Now, the pronoun there isn't helping me, okay? So let me just back up and put Jesus back in it. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Christ Jesus as Lord, rooted and built up in Christ Jesus as Lord, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So you don't just make a decision one day and say, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to go down an aisle, fill out a card, make a decision, get baptized, get dedicated, whatever. No, you continue to trust Christ Jesus as Lord. And you build up your life in and on him. That's what Jesus himself said, Matthew 7, passage everybody learned at Vacation Bible School. But this is what he says, verse 24, Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hello? And look what happened. You would think, well, I'm going to build my house on the rock, and I'm just going to live happily ever after. No, once you build your life on the rock, here's what's going to happen. The rain came down. You say, wait a minute, I don't want any rain. The streams rose up. In other words, flood came. And the winds blew, and they beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock, and the rock is Jesus. And then the corollary to this, or the opposite of this, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down, same rain, the streams rose up, same flood, and the winds blew, same storm, but this time when they beat against that house, it fell with a great crash. Now, man, there, there's so much in this that we can't cover today, but here's a couple of things really fast. Building your life on the foundation of Jesus doesn't mean you're going to be free from storms. It just means you're going to stand in the storms. 
And the storms of life are not bad because the storms of life let us know whether we really have a foundation in life or not. And so sometimes the storm helps us know, you know what? I was coasting and I wasn't building. I had said amen to Jesus, but I wasn't following Jesus. I had said, I underline a few verses of scripture, but I wasn't letting the scripture become the underpinning for everything I did in my life. I liked Jesus. I just wasn't following Jesus. And it wasn't until this storm came that I figured that out. So praise God for the storm because from the storm will become good because the good will be that I will go back to the builder and say, I need you to lay a foundation in my life that will stand the test of time. Because I'm telling you, the wind is going to blow and it's going to pick up, people. And the rain is coming and floods are coming our way. And he says, those who hear my word and obey it. He said, in that moment, you have put down the right foundation and the house on that's going to stand. Other, other people, they're building on sand. Um, you know, we were in Dubai not too long ago, which is in the desert, if you didn't know, and um, it's all sand. The whole, whole of it is sand. It's just in the desert. It's over, you know, in the United Arab Emirates and all the land around there, Saudi Arabia. Um, it, it's all sand. And in Dubai, they have built the tallest building in the world. And I was there marveling at it and loving it and in it. And I was telling Shelly via text, this is amazing. This building's 103 stories tall or whatever it is. It might be taller than that. It's, it's just, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like it stops. And I'm like, this is so incredible. And she just, you know, a little short encouraging message back from her. Isn't it sand everywhere in Saudi Arabia? And didn't somebody say something about building things on sand? And I'm like, okay, elevator down. Got to get out of here. Got this building. We're leaving uh, Dubai today, you know, I started seeing things sort of in my mind, things were, you know, teeter, teetering and tottering, and I was like, we got we to gotta leave this place, and then I started noticing out of my hotel room, because around this big building, they're building a hundred skyscrapers in a circle around it, yes, a hundred skyscrapers in a circle around it, oh, that's not downtown, downtown's over there, it's the size of Chicago, oh, that's not the only thing, a little bit down from there is a coast of buildings like Miami, this place is nuts, it's like Disney World, but it's real, it blows your mind being in Dubai, and I'm in this big thing looking at them building a hundred things around it and they're building them like right now like I mean you go to bed and you wake up and there's a hole that wasn't there the night before they got it's kind of sad but they got labor that comes there from you know Indonesia and from Nepal and these work day and night and I mean the next day there's like stuff coming out of the ground and I'm thinking the whole time it's all sand it's all sand I hope they dug those holes deep enough I know there's no rock down there and how foolish would that be for you or me to say, I've heard of Jesus, but I'm not going to follow him. See, this series is about discipleship, which is the church word for built. And it all starts with Jesus as the foundation of it all. And so I'm asking you today as we begin this series, because we're going to get into some amazing stuff, and this house is going to come to life, and you're going to love all that. But if you don't have Jesus in your life today, you've missed step one. And step one today is saying, I've heard of you, but I want to put my trust in you. I want you to become the foundation of my life. And then the second thing we'll close with this is just simply uh, saying today that I, I'm, I'm going to surrender to the process of God's building in my life. You know, God isn't looking at doing an addition. 
Um, I think a lot of people are into that. I'm gonna build like a Jesus room on the side of my house. So I still got my life, but oh, I got my Jesus room. You ever been in one of those people's houses that had their little Jesus shrine in there? Maybe you have one in your house. Go around the world, man, almost every kind of house has a little shrine of some kind around the world, great faiths and religions of the world. You walk in somebody's house and there'll be like a little statue there with some fruit on it. You're like, what is that? Well, it's our altar, a little shrine here, some candles right there, a big giant Bible maybe with some candles glowing in the background. And it's like, this is our little, you know, our little God space. I'm telling you today, God doesn't want to build an addition onto your house and he doesn't want a shrine in your house. He wants to build your whole house on Jesus. And for that to happen, you and I have to surrender to the process. We have to gladly say today, Jesus, I want you to be the general contractor of my life. So you see the plan. I don't even see the plan fully. You say it's to be conformed to your image, but I don't even know exactly what that looks like. You know how that's all going to play out. You know how you're going to take the good and the bad and the highs and the lows and the pain and the joy, and you're going to weave all that together to accomplish your purpose because nothing can stop you because if you're for me, nothing can be against me. So you see it all. So I surrender gladly today to the idea that you, Jesus Christ, are the general contractor of my life. Church word, you are my Lord. You're in charge. You build. You call the shots. You say what comes first. You say what comes second. You say what stays. You say what goes. You are in charge of building me. And that's where we begin today. And I wonder today, as a first step of a life that can stand the test of time. If anybody here today wants to say, I want to put my faith in Jesus. That's step one for me. And man, I know the graders come in and the diggers come in and the foundation pourers are coming, but you know what? What I got ain't working. And what I want needs a sure foundation. And I know his name is Jesus. And I'm willing for him to come in and grade my lot and level my ground and establish himself as the cornerstone of my life. So that everything about me will be built in and on Jesus. I believe he's who he says he is. I believe he came to this earth to die in my place, to pay the penalty for my wrongs. I believe he will forgive me, cleanse me, wash me, and bring me to life again, and I want to put my trust in him. And then the second step today for a lot of us is just to say, I surrender. I've been trying to be the general contractor and telling God how to build my house, and that's not working good for me or him. And today, I'm telling him, you're the general contractor of my house, and I surrender my ways to you.